Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So this week, we are talking about Swift. Did that lovely language introduced uh, about, a, about a year and a half ago now? Two years ago? Yeah, about, yeah, almost a year and a half, yeah. If, if I, I have a brief confession to make, I've never written a single line of Swift in the last year and a half. Not a single one. <laughs> I think I can say the same thing as long as playgrounds don't count. I wrote a few lines in a playground once, and, and that was it. Uh, beyond that, I, I certainly have written no Swift code that's gone into an app. Yeah, and that's, I gotta say, I almost feel guilty when I say that. Like, it's this thing that feels like, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly committed Apple platform person. Like, I do a lot of development here. This is where I make my livelihood, and this is their whole big fancy new thing. Um, that has, in theory, a variety of advantages to the way that I've developed things in Objective-C, but I've never really felt motivated to learn Swift. I think that's because I don't see how it would make my apps as they are today any better. And that's kind of a strange place to find myself, that I think my apps would be bu- you know, just the same using Objective-C that I know so well. But there's always in this back of my mind, like, hmm, I should be learning Swift. That would probably be better. But that's never happened. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. It's it's something that I, I'm not really against it. I mean, there are some things about it I don't care for, but I'm sure I get over them. You know, in practice, once I once I was using the language full time, and I'm sure there will come a time where we will we will switch to it and we will start using it full time, and it will just be normal and we'll just deal with it. But I don't think the time has yet come where you need to switch to it if you already have a code base in Objective-C that, that doesn't really need to be migrated for any particular reason, um, or if you already have a lot of, of Objective-C knowledge uh, and and your primary goal is to to ship apps quickly and with little overhead, then in those cases, I think it does make sense to do what, what we're doing so far and just you know wait and see. It's not that Swift is, is never going to be a part of our lives. It's just that I don't think there's a lot of compelling reasons for us to adopt it yet. When we, you know, when we already have this this experience and wisdom and and tool chains and everything, all these, all these things, everything's built up around the other language that we've known forever. Yeah, and it's funny. I was also th- as in preparation, thinking about today's episode. I was thinking too, uh, what are the reasons why I haven't? And there's obviously like the obvious ones of just like the inertia of having do, done Objective C for so long and knowing it like inside and out, knowing all where all the like the quirks are and all the problems. And when I hit a weird bug, I'm pretty good at finding them in Objective C if they're you know, programming related rather than logically related. But the thing that also makes me so nervous about Swift is that it keeps changing. Like every time a new version of Xcode comes out, it seems like there's some new thing in Swift. There's some new um, syntax. There's some new ability. There's some new approach for the way it works. And every time I see one of those, I think of it's like I have this moment of relief that, wow, I'm glad I haven't decided to start learning Swift yet. Because it seems like what I would have learned every time seems you know, is constantly being like deprecated going forward, and that makes me so nervous about spending the time. Because the reality is like I have so little time to invest into new things that aren't just like actually working. That spending time on something that potentially could be completely overcome by, or not, not completely is probably an extreme, but could require me to go back and change the things that I've learned or change the code that I've written is very discouraging yeah because it seems it seems like churn to go through this process and 
you know, it, to some to some degree, certain things like this are necessary in our in our profession. You know, when when Apple changes the UI of the entire OS, like with iOS seven, and we have to recreate or redo or reimplement a lot of things that we had already done. Like, it never feels great to be forced to to repeat work or to be forced to throw away something that works perfectly well just to do it some some new way that you didn't really want to do. Uh, on the flip side of that. You know, a lot of people, and you know, myself included, I love deleting co- deleting code that that is no longer necessary. Or you know, like like once there's a new ability to do something, like a new API comes out from Apple and a new OS release that makes a whole bunch of my code obsolete. I love deleting that old code and and getting rid of it, getting it out of my life, and moving on uh, using the new Apple API, assuming it works, uh, which isn't always the case, but usually, and having less code to manage. So like that part is is nice. A lot of programmers, myself included, also frequently get the itch to rewrite things in a better way. And that sometimes that is a good idea. It often isn't. Uh, sometimes it's just a big waste of time and a way to create all, all, your, all your bugs all over again. But it, it, sometimes it is a good idea. But I think with, with Swift coming in for Objective-C programmers, it, the, the motivation is, is less there. You know, and, and as you said, it is still changing a lot. For, for most of its first year, the tools were still really immature and we're still having lots of crashing and performance issues. Um, and, and that seems to be resolved so far from, from people who have written Swift so far uh, who are really into it more than us. It, it does seem like I've, I've been kind of like paying attention to what people say about it. What, how people report, like, oh, we converted a big project, or we started it, we started an, a new project in Swift, and here's how it went for us. And in the early days, those stories were really rough. They were in the early days; they were really not compelling because everything was still so immature and unstable. As time has gone on, in just a year and a half, which is pretty quick, that that has settled somewhat, and and a lot of people are now saying, okay, now you can jump in. I've done a project in Swift, and it was fine for us. Uh, so it really, it, I think now would be a safe enough time to jump in and it wouldn't be too unreasonable but again it comes back to you know how do we allocate our limited time and our limited resources and how much time are we willing to devote to messing with something that's still new and immature and and adapting to it as it changes like to me like i've always said in the past and we'll talk about server-side stuff i'm sure many times uh but i've always said in the past that my server-side stuff i want to be very conservative with especially as you get lower down the application level stack so if you you know if you want to try out a new you know web api cool whatever you know a new a new application layer thing as you go down the stack i don't want to be running a cutting edge linux distribution i want to be running a very conservative os i want to be running a very conservative database you know, like all like as you get that low level with like you know the the data layer and and the infrastructure layer of these things, I don't want to be on the cutting edge of anything there because the cutting edge is where you get bugs and instability and and you hit limitations. As you move up the stack, I feel like you have more tolerance for things like that, like for risk in those areas. For me, the programming language that you're writing your code in is pretty low level and with swift you at least have the benefit of you can mix it in slowly and that is very that was very wise of apple to do there are some downsides um to like things like they couldn't make as clean of a jump as they as they might have wanted to because they had maintained backwards compatibility with objective c libraries and stuff but uh for the most part i think that was wise because we can kind of wade in slowly when we decide that's the right move but at the same time you know because of my conservatism in in those low level things 
I don't really see a huge reason to jump in yet because I don't want to be programming with a cutting edge language. And not only for instability reasons and for for having to relearn things as they change things over time. Not only for those reasons, but also right now we don't really know what will eventually be known as idiomatic Swift and idiomatic Swift API design. We don't know those things yet. It, those are still being worked out. A lot of people, and and I'm not one, and I don't think you are one either, a lot of people love being a part of that process of figuring out what the idioms should be and and creating, helping to create them and helping to work out how things, and helping to experiment with like, oh, maybe we should design APIs in this way. Maybe the right way to use the language is this. I am not into that at all. For me, I would rather let the let the smarter people than me who care a lot more about language design and who are better at it than I am, let them figure out the idioms and the language design and the API design. And then I want to just take the finished product and master one thing that they've figured out over time and apply that into building apps that I want. So it's like, you know, I want to be closer to the product building side, not the messing with languages side, if that makes sense. Yeah, because... I mean, the process of like, it sounds vaguely interesting, like sort of the, oh, let's be, let's be part of the process. And, you know, it seems like the Swift team is very responsive and that all those things on that side seem to be very encouraging in that regard. If you, that were something you were interested in, but it's just like effort going into something that isn't making my apps better, isn't making my customers happier, isn't helping me ship something more impressive. It's like, it's going into something that is kind of intellectually cool. But it kind of feels it's like the difference between someone who is an academic versus um, like who has a, like a pra- makes a more practical living. Like I'm very glad there are people who enjoy that more academic side of computer science who come up with the the new things and push boundaries and tr- go down ten sort of dead end roads before they find the thing that is is actually the thing that we're going to want to use in practice. Like I'm really glad those people exist, but it's a very different thing than the skills and the experience and the time allocation that you would want to do if you actually have to ship something. And ultimately, especially if that thing that you ship at the end of the day has to like make your living, then the last thing you want to be doing is playing around with stuff that isn't quite baked or isn't quite to the point that it's like, it's, this is exactly the way you do it. Cause I think in can objective C it's very established at this point. It's an old enough language. Um, and it's use has been so, focused in by Apple and has benefited from the fact that I think Apple is the only people who sort of typically use it in a way that like language like Java or uh, C has so many different uses that it doesn't quite have that same heavy hand that Apple, I think, has been able to bring to it, where as they've improved and changed the syntax and the details of Objective-C, like it is now very finely tuned to go along with Coco and to go along with iOS and to go along with all of the things that go into building for Apple's platforms, that it's very straightforward. Like there is probably one way to write most, you know, sort of most functions and most code. And once you learn it and once you get good at it, then you know you're doing the right thing. And the process of learning that for Swift just sounds like kind of yeah, scary until that thing settles down. And so I'm not really sure what's ultimately going to get me to learn Swift. Like I was thinking about it, what could Apple do? Like obviously they're doing all the right things on the marketing side of saying like, this is the hot new thing. All their sample code is in, or most of their sample code is in Swift to WWDC. All the session videos, all the code on the slides is in Swift. Like they're pushing it as hard as they can from a marketing perspective. 
but my gut says until they come out with something that says you can only interact with this platform or interact with this library in Swift, I probably won't learn it. Um, that's just so that's just the, the practical reality. Like I'd almost wondered if when they were announcing things like the watch or the TV, if at some point they would say this is a Swift only platform and architect like the runtime for it or the libraries for it or those types of things in such a way that say like, this is the only language that it's going to work. And if they did that, obviously like I'd have to learn. I mean, it's sort of like with the TV OS where you can write apps natively or in the TVML like markup language. If they had said, Oh, we're only going to do the TVML stuff, then like, okay, if I wanted to do a TV app, I would have learned that, but it would, it seems like it's probably only going to come out of necessity rather than out of just like the intrinsic desire. Right. Yeah. I mean, at some point, they are probably going to have Swift-only APIs in the same way that there are Objective-C-only APIs now. And originally, you could you know, you know, could write in C if you wanted to. You could write a lot of Mac apps only in C. In the olden days, that's how all of them were written. Uh, and you know, over time, Objective-C came in, and, and there, are, there have been Objective-C-only APIs. Uh, so over time, there will be Swift-only APIs. Uh, eventually, you know, as Apple adds new new APIs to things. But that hasn't happened yet. And even internally, Swift is still so young that even internally, Apple is hardly using it for anything. Uh, so if they can't even work it into their workflow in, in mass yet, then I think that shows that we're not yet to the level and we're not close yet to the level where it's a requirement for everybody to use. That being said, you know, I think if you're starting out fresh, if you don't know how to, how to program it, or, or if you only have a little bit of programming knowledge so far, or Objective-C knowledge so far, and, you, and you're looking to expand your knowledge starting now, by all means, do that in Swift. Like, it doesn't, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to learn Objective-C from scratch now, now that Swift is coming up and, and being, you know, being the hotness. Although that being said, I think it's very likely that any, any iOS app will probably you will probably need to know some Objective-C at some point to do something similar to how Objective-C programmers generally, like, you can get along pretty well most of the time, but occasionally you have to call a C function or you'll have to know how C works enough to use some some API that is C only. Uh, so new programmers should definitely start with Swift, I would say, just because you, you generally don't want to start with something that is on its way out long-term. You want to start with something that is going to be as useful as long as possible yeah and i think the funny thing is like i know enough swift at this point that i can read it but i can't write it um because i was like often i'll you know be searching on stack overflow and i'll find an answer to something that i was struggling with and the answer is written in swift and so i need to work out how it works and so at this point i know it enough to be like it's a but it's a I know it just enough to be like read only, but I could never create it out of nothing. And I think if you're new to something, it's like your goal is probably going to be to learn Swift well enough that you can write your programs in it and program in it, but then know Objective-C at least well enough that you can read it and understand what's going on with all the crazy you know, square brackets and the general kind of structure of it. But that's probably all you'll ever need to actually, you know, in practical use. Right, exactly. And And there are certain things about Swift too. Like it isn't it isn't a guarantee that if you like Objective-C that you will like Swift. It is It is a different style of language. It is not Objective-C with pointers removed. Like, that, that isn't it. 
it, it is not like what, what a lot of people were saying before Swift was unveiled. It was like, oh, just just make an Objective C without the C, and that is even how Apple introduced it on this on the keynote slide. But that really isn't what it is at all. It really is more like a a modern reinterpretation of C plus plus, and so this is going to mesh better with some people than others. For me, honestly, I don't like a lot of it, a lot of what I know of it, at least so far. And again, I haven't used it in a project yet, so this could change as I use it. But a lot of the things that are some of its more advanced features, like generics, I don't think I will ever use most of that stuff. You know, there's this is going to kind of gel better with some people than others, and that might influence what, how early you want to jump into it. Because for me, it, it hasn't done much for me, and, and it... It doesn't really appeal to me as strongly as as some other changes would have or, or may have. Uh, then I'm in less of a rush. But if you're the kind of person who you enjoy those kind of language features that it's adding, or you enjoy the kind of formalism that it that it imposes that wasn't there before, uh, then by all means jump in. You know, it's but that's not going to be true of everybody, and I think that's okay. Yeah, and I think it's I like I've gradually gotten better about having the like the swift guilt of having that feeling of like <laughs> oh i really should be learning this and it's like the understanding of it's like at some point i'm sure it's in my future i don't know when that is um and it's and it's the role it's going to play in my future is also going to depend on where apple takes their platforms and what platforms and opportunities make the most sense for my business like you know i don't know like ios is relatively young and it's also relatively old like 7 years or so for a platform is getting to a point that you start to wonder you know is something new coming along that is going to maybe you know sort of overtake it because you know very few things in technology seem to last more than 10 or 15 years and so we're at least sort of towards the middle if not the tail end of exa- of this you know this wave and then you start to keep your eye out for what's which platform and what opportunity is going to be the next big thing yeah because as we were saying last week about you know about you know market opportunities and and you know how to how you can take advantage of of a market that's like on its boom time and then how quickly that window falls off as it gets more crowded uh it's the same thing with with languages and with technologies like if you can get in relatively early to things now again again this is a balance between like conservatism and stability versus you know how cool it is to try new things and and whether whether you're the kind of person who loves just trying new languages for the sake of trying them and and you know or whether you're more kind of product focused like me and david here but i I think there's a similar kind of window with technologies where like as i said like this is you can tell that this is begin this is the beginning of the end of objective c and it's going to be a long way down. It's gonna we're gonna it's gonna be here for a while. Yeah. Uh, we're not talking five years. We're talking at least ten. That 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 is still going to be around and still be relevant. I mean, look at how long. I mean, look. I just said like you know C functions still exist that we still call routinely from Objective C apps, and that those have been there since the you know since the beginning of Core Foundation, which was what in the late eighties. I mean, it's going to be at least until Apple replaces their fundamental like os structure probably or something like that because like apple isn't going to rewrite all their apps unless they absolutely have to right and all the foundation classes i mean swift is still swift has has its own you know strings it has its own arrays but there's so many things in foundation and networking and io and graphics all these things that that swift is still calling the system objective c and c apis to do those things so it's not like they threw away the entire stack and the entire API. You're just writing things in a new front-end language. It's not like that whole stack is going to go away in two years or five years or even ten years. I think that's unlikely. 
Anyway, we are sponsored this week by our friends at NS Screencast. NS Screencast features short, focused screencasts on iOS development. Every week, you're going to find a new, fantastically produced episode that will help you build and enhance your development skills. Now, I've been looking at these for this past week since they came to us with this. Have you you looked at these too, David? Yeah, yeah. Uh, these are great. Uh, the production value on these is really, really high. And they're, what, what I like about them is that they're short. Like, the idea is it's just one short episode a week, and you just keep up with it. And you, you can kind of keep up on new technologies, you can learn new things, but it's not, you don't have to jump in and watch like a 45-minute conference video just to keep up with what's going on or to learn something new. It's a nice overview with examples and everything, and the production quality, I think, is great. Have you seen one that, that you liked? Yeah, I mean, I love, I've actually, speaking, speaking of what we've been talking about, I've been put, watching a little bit of the ones about Swift, just to kind of keep an eye on what's going on there. Because like we said, it's not something that I'm at the level where I want to spend a lot of time on it, but it's really helpful to just be able to sit down and watch a short, like 10, 15 minute video to get a sense of like, what are the, all these fancy keywords and things I keep hearing people talk about? And so I can sit down and watch, you know, what's new in sort of Swift 2 or Swift new Swift optionals or all the kind of these things that are totally new and in a very short amount of time, understand what's happening without, you know, sort of sitting there and just going through the documentation myself. And so that found that to be really helpful. Uh, you can watch these videos on the web, on iOS, or you can even, they also have a tvOS app. They, they're already on the Apple TV. You can watch it right there on the NS Screencast tvOS app. All this costs just $9 a month or $100 a year with team plans available too. You can get 30% off your first month by signing up at nsscreencast.com slash firstcrack. nsscreencast.com slash firstcrack. Thank you so much to NS Screencast for supporting this show and all of FM. All right, and the last thing I wanted to talk about briefly with Swift that I thought would be kind of an interesting, it's an interesting, maybe it's the best way to call it is a thought experiment, is I was recently trying to think through if in the limited amount of time I have to learn something, if I would be better off putting that time and energy into learning Swift and in, you know, essentially embracing the future of iOS or diversifying and learning modern Android development. And when I sort of posed that question to myself, the answer immediately wasn't obvious because I think about it in Swift. And I'm like, okay, it's the future of the platform and that's better. You know, I've, you know, I'm very committed to iOS. That's where I make the majority of my living. But it also means that I'm tied into like, you know, one basket, like I'm putting all of my apps, all my eggs into that one basket. And there's part of me that wonders if, would I be better off if instead I like took that energy of learning something new and put it into learning Android? In the end, I'm skeptical if I actually ever would, because it's so hard to think about developing for a platform that I don't use on a regular basis. But I think my gut says at the end of the day, I would actually probably be more prudent for me to know both uh, iOS and Android than to know iOS and then iOS plus Swift, um, and sort of as, as I know it now. Yeah, I think it really depends. I mean, obviously, I think you can learn Swift more easily than you can learn Android because you are still on the same platform calling into most of the same APIs and everything. So I think it's Swift would be an easier transition. Also, Swift would eventually replace your Objective-C slot in your mind you know like so it wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't it wouldn't be like an additional thing that you that you'd have to decide where to spend your time between on an ongoing basis it would be kind of like a one-time big transition over you know six months or whatever however long it would take you to really like master it and really be doing it full time 
Um, but Android, of course, opens up way more market share. I mean, if you're if you have a, a handful of apps, well, you have more than a handful. But if, <laughs> suppose somebody has a normal number of apps on the app store, and and uh, and and they have to choose whether to you know convert all their existing apps from Objective C to Swift or port them to a new platform. Obviously, the the right move there would be to port them to a new platform because the customers don't care what language your app is written in. So you wouldn't get any benefit on the customer side by converting to Swift. It's more of like an investment in your own long-term uh, ongoing education, long-term craft, uh, you know, long-term time savings for yourself, assuming Swift will save you time um, in the long run, which I think it probably will over time. Uh, but we don't know that yet, really. So it's a question, I mean, you're, these are... This is a great thought experiment. I, this is one of the reasons why I want to do the podcast with you because I you are so good at coming up with these these crazy ideas because it isn't that crazy. Like if you think about it, going onto a new platform is probably a better idea than relearning the the language on the platform you're already on. That being said, if you specialize in one of these areas, if you specialize and you say, you know, I'm going to just be really, really good at making iOS apps, and then and that way, you know, to do what you do, to be able to try out a whole bunch of ideas, to be able to make things, make new apps quickly and deploy them to the store quickly. If you if you get really, really good at that one thing, versus if you if you spread your knowledge out into a, into a more broad tool set, really, so you're able to make iOS apps and Android apps, and maybe apps for something else, maybe Mac apps, maybe web apps. You know, If you spread it out and get more wide like that, I feel like that might be harder for one person to be very productive and very successful for themselves because there, there's so much overhead involved in, in dealing with these different ecosystems, different platforms, different languages, different APIs. I feel like you can be better specializing in one and being able to just really crank out high volume work on one rather than spreading yourself out very wide to be able to do a wider variety of things. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think ultimately that's probably that's the reality of that's where I, ha- I am. That's where I have been for the last year and a half since this was, it would even be sort of a th- thought experiment that could exist is ultimately for me and my business to run, I have to be extraordinarily uh, productive in one thing. And to be in a true expert and be able to really, you know, if I, if I have an idea for an app, to be able to build it very quickly. And for me right now, that's being writing, you know, iOS apps in Objective-C. Like, that's something that I can really crank out just from by the virtue of having so much experience in it. And I think until such time as doing that thing, having that expertise and having that sort of finely honed of a skill ceases to be the thing that I need to do. And it becomes like, okay, now I should... Um, I need to diversify. I need to go somewhere else. Like it isn't working on iOS anymore. That's probably where I'll continue to go. And but in this, you know, it's, it's, it's for the same reasons that I haven't learned Swift. It's probably the same reasons that I haven't learned Android. It's that same thing of it's like I like and it seems to work well to be a true master of one thing and to drive that you know sort of drive and perfect your art and craft of doing that one thing is probably better than becoming a t- complete generalist but being sort of some more superficial in all the different areas. And this is obviously certainly coming from the perspective of being independent. Like if you work in a bigger company, you may have to be a a generalist and be working in all these different platforms and areas because that's just what your boss tells you to do. Um, But because my boss doesn't tell me to do anything, um, I can be able to (laughs) just sort of go with whatever makes sense for me. 
Right. And that's, and I think it makes sense for big companies to diversify because, you know, when you look at the way big companies structure their engineering departments, you don't usually have one person who's in charge of five different platforms of apps and they're the only ones working on them. Usually you have employees who were specialized. And so the whole department might be able to be more broad and have an app for iOS and an app for Android and even look at Windows Phone or BlackBerry or whatever else comes along. But each individual person to maximize their efficiency is usually only doing one of those things. You know, it makes sense for companies to be able to afford to be more broad, but for individuals to maximize what you can do, I think it makes the most sense for individuals to be specialized. Yeah, and I think that's sort of where we're just going to end up end up for today's discussion. That I think Swift is a is a powerful, useful tool um, that I'm glad exists, and I'm glad Apple is pushing the platform forward on. But I don't expect to use it anytime soon. I'm sure both of us will use it eventually, and it might even be faster than we think. It might even be like next year, but I'm I'm certainly not in any rush to start doing it right now. But that's fine. Yeah, and I think that's probably where we'll end it for today. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, please tell your friends about the show. Help us spread the word. Recommend us on Overcast, and uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week.